Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Episode 32. Welcome to Education on Fire, and you're not listening to Mark Taylor right this second because it's Bruce Langford, and I am the guest host and honored to be the guest host today with a change to interview Mark. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm great, and it's thanks so much, Bruce, for, for doing this. I, I just thought it was going to be a really interesting take on um, on the listeners hearing some of my views um, in a from being an, an interviewer rather than an interviewee or an interviewee rather than an interviewer and um and just yeah, i thought it'd be really interesting to see uh, to see where that goes and uh, where our conversation takes us well it is interesting and ha- having been a music teacher myself and been involved in education and really passionate about helping kids i really relate to you because you're truly passionate about that but how did you get into education what got you there so as you know, my, my background is in music. Um, as a professional musician, I went to music college, um, and as most professional musicians do, they, they want to give back, and they also want a, a different income stream as well. And so, teaching and education is something that the majority of us do. And so, yes, it, it, it was. It really was sort of through teaching drums um, initially in schools, just sort of being able to give back some of my expert experience, um, both as a performer, but also you know having having been to a music college and, and, and studied and, and got my degree. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And it's just that the more time I was in schools, and I was very lucky to be involved in some schools. Um, for example, there's a, a school called the Lyceum in London, um, which has been sold sadly since since I was there, but had was had such an arts focus that um, I wasn't just there as a drum teacher. I went in and did some whole class music. Um, we were doing samba and African drumming. We were doing compositions and it was all very cross-curricular. We were sort of tying it all in with all the other stuff they were doing and they were really keen on that and I suddenly had that sense that you know, it's the feeling that the kids were getting from being involved in music. It wasn't just the fact I was there to teach drums. And being part of that bigger educational parcel um, was something I really thrived on and that's kind of where... It all sort of started to go from there, really. And then having, as well as done that, created my Rhythmically Speaking education company, which um, I had for 10 years or so, which was really sort of honed that sense of being able to give schools, you know, a a workshop which um, children really got the chance to feel what it was like to be a musician without having to learn to read music straight off the bat. They got what it felt like first, and then we were able to bring that more academic stuff in afterwards. Well, I think as a musician, you have that feeling like you you're so in tuned with music. And so are a lot of children in tuned with rhythm and in tune with, you know, that part of life. And sometimes as adults, we lose it. But I think you've got that. So did you have that as a child? As a child, did you feel like you were in tune with rhythms and music and that kind of thing? Um, That's. That's very true, and I think also more than that, it's more about it being part of your um, your natural voice, or or kind of showing up to the world in an authentic sense. You know, um, yes. When I went to secondary school, sort of age um, eleven, twelve here in the UK, you um, 
at that particular time, our particular school, I was very lucky. You had to learn a musical instrument. Our sort of first year of music was actually everybody learning an instrument. And our music class was actually being part of a wind band, a little bit like kind of the band class. I know that happens in the States. Um, and and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have decided to learn an instrument. It's only because I had to. But then having the feeling of that and being part of that and actually feeling like actually this is this is my voice not only can I do it and really enjoy it I kind of feel that when I'm really in flow with it actually I've got something to say above a sort of beyond words it actually I was like I can show up today and actually truly sort of express myself in a way that I couldn't in other ways and that's probably even more important when you're sort of a teenager than it um, than it can be even in, in later in life. Oh, yeah, I think it can be. And when did you first get into drums and drumming? So that that was um, at that time as I went to age 11 when we went to secondary school. We had to pick an instrument to be part of this wind band. Um, and, and as I said, I wasn't really interested in learning anything. In primary school, earlier than that, I'd done some recorders and been part of the sort of school choir and that sort of thing. Um, so I thought when I had to learn something, I thought, drumming sounded like the the best of a bad bunch to be honest (laughs) Uh if I've got to learn something then that sounds like the most fun so it really was that it wasn't a burning desire to do it because of um because I'd seen someone do it at at that stage I had sort of subsequently then seen people doing it once I was involved and really loved it even more um sure that there was just before we went to secondary school having sort of done these options and decided what we wanted we were actually visited by the music department of the school who did various tests to make sure that what we'd put down we I think we had some kind of aptitude for so I, I I guess if um if I'd put down the trumpet but my embouchure wasn't going to be very good they may well have steered me through and so having put down the drums um they sort of steered me into sort of rhythm based things and that sort of thing and I, and I guess I must have done well enough in that for them to be happy for me to carry on and actually take that as my as my option because of course there were I guess um you know a fairly large class and if everyone had put down drums they'd have had to have wheedled people down in a certain way so luckily I was one of the three people that was selected to actually carry that forward and, and take the drums as the actual lesson. So when was the point where you decided music would be a profession and you would become a professional musician performing and doing all the exciting things that you've done? It really it really happened, I guess, quite early on after that, Um, because, as I said, the first thing that I noticed was the fact that I felt good about doing it. That that was really good. Um, I'd only been learning a year or so. And my my then peripatetic drum teacher said, um, you're obviously really enjoying it. I was obviously asking lots of questions and and, and, he, and he thought I had some potential. Um, and he lived in the city about 15 miles away from where my school was. And he was often finishing his school at sort of 3.15, 3.30 and he'd have a show to go and perform in maybe at 7, 7.30. So he had this sort of time in between. And he very kindly said, um, look, would you like to have some private lessons? Um, and he did it for what now, sort of looking back, was sort of next to no no cost I mean it was just like a token gesture and he was just happy to sort of spend his time an hour or so there and have a cup of tea and give me a lesson and chat to my parents um sure and um and and that was really that was really great but the thing he did was make me get involved in just playing a lot um he wanted me to be involved in lots of the county ensembles that were available in music centers and encouraged me to join um a local silver silver band which is like a sort of a brass band kind of thing um and um 
And then every time I got to perform, I really, really liked it. And I was only, I guess, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. And I was, I'd been in this silver band um, and there was a concert coming up and they'd not had a drummer for a long time. So they were really keen to give, to, you know, to give the band a chance to play stuff they weren't able to do. And they played this piece called Miller Magic, um, which was a whole lot of Glenn Miller tunes. Um, and the and the whole um, thing finishes with the St. Louis Blues March and of course it's got all the drum solo and stuff at the bottom and I just loved it and I thought if I'm going to do it I've got to practice it and I did spend every single day till I knew it backwards um, and just thrived every day doing that um, and then of course the concert came and I'd played it so much and I knew it so well um, it went really well and everyone really loved it and I absolutely loved the feeling of it and from there I kind of thought you know if you're going to do something, then this has to be the feeling. I, I didn't feel like that about anything else. Um, and I think also, um, because music was a bit more part of the curriculum back then, um, through my school as well, there were people older than me that were part of a county ensemble and there from there were going to music college and, and going into the profession. There was sort of a, you could sort of see the steps and, and so becoming a professional musician wasn't something so far out the box. Yes, it was going to be difficult and yes, you had to be really good to get a, get an audition to get into a conservatoire and that kind of thing. But I, I could see people doing it and the more I got involved, the more I could see the steps. And so... It was fairly early on that I thought, actually, this is the feeling I want to do. But I did also have quite a clear idea about how I could go about it. So, yeah, that's kind of the story, really. Yeah, well, so then you got started doing professional mu music. And in the early years, do you ever remember a time when you had stage fright or nerves? You were just really scared with a performance that was coming up? Yeah, I mean, I had a few of those early on. I mean, I, um, I did my first... Um, well, I guess depending on what you deem to be professional. I mean, I, I've done a few things at college with some um, orchestras and, and amateur bands, especially because London's full of these things and they often get students and um, from music college to go along and play. So you're often paid for that. So technically you're being a professional to do it. Um, but sure. at, the, at the end of my first year, um, my, um, my timpani teacher said, I've got this, um, this date on Saturday. I don't want to do it. Can you go and do it for me? And that was one of those moments where you think, oh, my, <laughs> OK, so, <laughs> so not only am I going to go and turn up and actually play something with a, a what was a very good chamber orchestra, um, I'm actually effectively going to be you. And the, the pressure of that and the feeling of that was absolutely huge. And uh, that was quite a big deal. And um, I mean, it was difficult on the day, but certainly the lead up to it and the, and all of that certainly felt fairly fairly mind-blowing and um and that that was definitely the start of that sort of understanding of kind of suddenly performing and, and being part of a slightly higher world than I'd been involved in before and did you have to uh did you have to systematically learn how to not let your nerves affect you did you ever have a real problem with stage fright um I mean there there, there were two or three two or three occasions where I really was so nervous that um um, it really was quite a big deal. But one one of the things that happened while I was at college is that we, we were we were pushed so far um to to the point um within ourselves that we kind of you get over yourself and it's all about the music and you started to learn and understand that um if you're involved in the music and it's all about the music, then the rest of it disappears. And and, and as an example, one of the pieces we we used to do as a as a percussion section with a sort of a CD and a massive stereo going on, we'd all be part of this in our in our lessons was um Carmina Brana. Um 
and and I remember one of the things we did was we just at the at the very beginning where everything is going on. There's a sort of sort of ongoing tam tam quiet note, but it kind of just creates the whole um, environment of of the piece that's going as it sort of starts off. Um, and um, and we just went over this and over it and over it and over it. And the only way you could really get this particular sound out because you've only literally got a beater and a piece of metal. That's all you're playing. But right. once you could really get into the music, once you kind of got the sound in your head and you had to be in that zone to be able to get it, the sound came. And what you then felt, or what I felt anyway, which I think was the point, was the fact that if you're in that particular zone doing that, then everything else disappears. It's just about the music and then you can play. And that's what we're all about. You know, We want to be in that position where we're really playing because then the rhythm, the sound, the ensemble, everything comes together and that's what's really exciting about the audience. So that's that's kind of the, the key thing, um, I think, from that point of view that sort of got me over that sort of idea of sort of being scared while you're actually performing. Um, right, right. But, but it, it doesn't help so much. And this is something that took me a few more years to get out, to understand is the is the feeling, you know, the day before, the week before, the morning before, you know, when you're actually not doing that. And and that really is just all about being present. It's about being in the moment of what you're doing. So, you know, while you might be nervous because you're doing something next week, it's actually quite a lot of wasted energy. You know, it's the question of always bringing it right back to the moment. What am I doing now? Why am I doing it? If I'm feeling stressed, do I need to maybe spend a bit of time looking at something or practicing that might actually help? Or is it that I'm thinking about a concert next week, but actually now I need to be just concentrating on cleaning or whatever I happen to be doing at home, you know, actually sure. just being in the moment. And that's something which has then really stood me in great stead, both through my teaching and education work and also in life generally, you know, being present and, and being mindful, which, of course, is um, we probably should have mentioned this earlier, Bruce, that you, um, you're the, the host in Creative Mindfulness Mode, um, a great podcast, which I, I recommend that everyone um, goes and has a listen to. But it, it was such a key thing for me to be able to to understand that actually the whole thing about being present and part of what's going on in any given moment can support me specifically in my performance and, and, and that kind of work that I was doing as well as the rest of my life as well. Right. And, and of course, that's how I met you is through the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And I interviewed you for the show and found out that you were really adamant about learning to be mindful and making sure that you were calm and focused and grounded. So yeah, that was episode 180, Mark, when I interviewed you. So yeah, anybody wants to listen to it, mindfulnessmode.com forward slash 180. You can listen to Mark on that interview. But Mark, here in Canada, uh, I was always a member of the Musicians Union, the Musicians Association, and they would help get me jobs and I would get to know people, other musicians through that and sometimes play in ensembles. That's how I got a lot of jobs in the earlier years. How did you get work as a musician, Mark? Most of it is is actually word of mouth. And that's the that's the great thing about being in London. I mean, you're in the capital city. Um, you're at music college and you spend a lot of time with obviously your peers at college but also a lot of time with the other music colleges as well I was at Trinity College of Music but spent a lot of time at the Royal Academy of Music the Royal College of Music um, Guildhall School of Music and Drama so th there were lots of us all all working together in various ensembles and various things that were going on and it's, it's kind of 
people will just think, oh, right, there's a gig coming up. Someone's asked me to do it. Can you book the rest of the section? And they say, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so, I know so-and-so. And it just kind of builds up bit by bit, really. And and sort of the mm-hmm. more the more people that you know, obviously, the more chance there is and and, um, and the more opportunity there is. And, and it is that kind of word of mouth and, and, um, and just being being in the environment that's going on really that's that's kind of how it was there's no agents involved there's um there there is a musicians union over here but they kind of really just help coordinate things like organizing agreements and rates and that kind sure. of thing um it doesn't really get you um work in, in in that same kind of way i mean i guess being part of it get, you know your name can be in the in the musicians union handbook and and that sort of thing which i i, I mean I, I guess over the sure. years maybe one or two things have come out of that but generally speaking it's it's the people you're working with and just going and turning up and doing a good job and then um from that more things develop so sure yeah well tell us more about rhythmically speaking and how you got started with that mark so so rhythmically speaking um was the education company that i started um and Nowadays over here, there's a thing called Wider Opportunities, which is basically whole class um, music. And it's one of the few things which is still funded. Um, And the idea is that every child gets a chance to learn an instrument. Um, But it's only um, over 10 weeks. Um, And so there's someone that comes in and it might be a string session. So there'll be some learning a violin and a cello and, and they sort of put it together and you sort of learn a little bit about it. And the idea is that after... Um, the person goes away um, people may well then sign up to learn um, one of these instruments and, and carry on doing that um, right. and, and so before all that was kind of the norm we created rhythmically speaking in 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 a, in the in a, in the same sort of vein but was slightly different our our aim was that we were going to go in and do this whole class music but it was going to be um samba and, and rhythm based but we wanted to make it a bit more integral and give something more to the teachers the idea was that we would go in we would do a workshop get all the in, all the kids um involved in what they um involved in the rhythms we teach them the rhythms we'd show them the instruments we would leave a resource pack um and and then the teacher could then with the kids over the next two or three weeks actually enhance what we we'd showed them you know and we, we were able right. to you know we, we we thought if we can teach the children to do this the teachers certainly would be able to do it and uh, and with our support um either from the telephone and also from all the resource material we left them um and then what we would do was we would then come back um, a few weeks later, see how they'd done. We would then take the baton up. We'd improve what they'd been practicing over the few weeks so that they really understood the phrases that we'd learned. You know, it's things like that, even if it wasn't just the musical things, the, the, some of the knowledge-based stuff that we'd left. Um, and then we'd put the whole thing together and we'd record it and we'd give them a CD. Um, so that back then, was about probably about 2004 we first started that. So, um, yeah, we, we'd record it and then, and then um, burn off a CD for them to have. Um, and that was the idea. So it was a it was a chance to give the children um, a real sense of a performance and, and a chance of um, putting something together, um, but also that we were going to give resources to the teachers and support them so that they could have you know the next year they might not need us to go in they could actually do some of these things with uh, the children in their next class you know we'd show them how to use this, the instruments they had in school and while they might not have a full samba kit you know they may, they'd still have a shaker or they'd have a small drum or they'd have some you know they they could make do with what they had and then of course if they wanted us to come back with all the real gear then that was absolutely great but but it just right. give, it just gave a little bit more of a longevity um and and yeah that 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 was the essence of it and and it was very successful for 
for, for quite a long time. And then once this wider opportunities thing came in and the government started funding those things, then there were more options for people to do that. And um, and the funding started to disappear because it was going through a music trust rather than schools getting it from outside sources. So um, I um, see that that's that we then started to change a little bit about what we did. And we put on a couple of um, a couple of um, performances where we had some um, children's choirs singing and I organised um, a professional ensemble because as well as actually performing, I'm, I do a lot of sort of music um, management, orchestral management as well. So I have a large pool of players that I can get together as a anything from a, a, a duet all the way through to a symphony orchestra. So um, so I, I put this ensemble together and the idea being that we would give them something they couldn't do it in their own school. They would actually learn these songs, come together um, and they'd have a real live professional ensemble to sing with. And, and they were fantastic and uh, and they were great fun and I think probably the best one we did for that was a, a World War Two themed concert that we did and, and that was pretty spectacular and uh, and I think the kids absolutely loved it. And did the schools require that you had any sort of uh, teaching certificate to do any of your work that you did in the schools including including what you did with Rhythmically Speaking? Um, I don't, th- well I don't think they probably asked for anything but i think when we set it up we had so much information we made sure that they could understand what our background was so um i was right. I, I they knew that i was from a music college my my co-director rhythmically speaking was um head of music in a, in a school as well as being a trumpet player um we'd made right. sure that all of the stuff worked within the national curriculum so we kind of when they came to us they could immediately see that we were covering everything which um was going to be great for their school as well as it being a very um, fun thing for the children to do. Right, right. And so then you decided to start a podcast later. Tell us about that decision. Yeah, so so the podcast, I mean, the education thing keeps kept coming and going. <laughs> and, um, right. and um, you know, we, we have three children. Um, and so I've been involved in primary education sort of from our eldest back from, I guess, 2005, I think she would have started. Um, and I've seen great things going on in primary schools. I've seen money and, and budgets come and go. I've seen head teachers come and go. Um, and I've seen some great things happen. And I've also seen how some great things which have been built can disappear really quickly as well by people having a different focus or taking their eye off the ball or or, or just different personalities and, and, and that sort of thing. And um, And at the same time, I was asked to join the... The, um, NAEP which is the National Association for Primary Education and that was by a lady called Lynn Hane who you can you can hear her interview that I did on the podcast I think back on episode um, 001 and, and she's the chair of NAEP and, and she was the director of the school this Lyceum school in London that I, I mentioned earlier in, in the interview oh, right. Um, right. and um, and and she asked me to join because she knew, knew my views from obviously having worked with her in the school and, and knew what I was about and that that we obviously had a, had a lot in common from that point of view. Um, and and through lo- lots of these sort of different worlds that I was mixing in, the, the one thing that people understood a lot was the fact that they might we might all agree that the the education system isn't necessarily working the best for children. You know, a lot of it's based on kind of Victorian ideas about we need people to be able to work, we need people to think in this way, you know, the whole way the system is is actually put down. Um, And 
while, while we might like to change it, it's not going to happen overnight. It's, unless you're the prime minister or the, you know, the minister for education or whatever, you, unless you've got the power right. to just change it, then it's going to be the same in lots of ways. And also, these things happen from the ground up. You know, the governments take ideas that are already out there and make them their own, and then all of a sudden it becomes the greatest idea that everyone had thought of before. You know, yeah. and um, and so what I wanted to do is I thought, if, you know every time I sort of thought no I'm not going to be involved in education anymore or I don't think I can make a difference or I'm getting frustrated with the system which is kind of what had happened as well I thought well what can I do to make a difference and I thought actually what I want to do is I want to I do know that well we might want it to be different there are some schools that are doing it differently in certain ways you know I had been involved with some great head teachers I had been involved in some schools which were doing really brilliant things um and maybe it's the fact that people don't know one that they're available or two how to get those resources or what's actually out there and and you know with the introduction of the internet and the fact that you know you as a teacher you're no longer just so you know enclosed in your four sort of walls of your school and that's all you need to know you know there are facebook groups that teachers are involved in and and all manner of things that sort of open the excuse me open their eyes to, to things that are going on and I thought actually the having a podcast that showed what was going on in a school whether it was music related and in the computing and ed tech season two that I did um, just recently you know there were so many free resources out there that just completely the children were just um, so excited about doing um, and it's not something which you would necessarily come across unless you knew about it but there, there, there are lots of schools that were involved in these sorts of things and I thought if I can share the great things that are going on then maybe more of those great things will be encouraged in more schools and the, the more you can do that then the, the more difference you can make and so that, that was the idea for Education on, on Fire as a podcast was just to share the stuff that is going on which is great and hopefully that would then filter through and the more people feel that they can actually take action to make that part of their school whichever they felt was right for their school you know there's no right or wrong but if they heard something they thought that's a great idea I wouldn't have thought of that or I wouldn't have come across that on my own I can take that to my head teacher or I can take that into my classroom and make a real difference um and 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 that was that was that was the point of it and um and yeah and i think it's really excellent what you've done on the podcast i recently listened to arnav sharma when you interviewed him and you know it's just amazing you know what children have created and what they can do the talent that's out there and then you just have a way of bringing it to light but tell us about the three seasons that you've put together and how you're basically putting your podcast into chapters i think that's brilliant well, the, the one the one thing I I know um, as a teacher is the fact that you can get overwhelmed with everything, <laughs> and and, yes. and, cer- and certainly for me, having sort of a, um, I'm very keen on the cross curricular idea. You know that everything can be can be pulled together, no matter what your topic is or whatever your subject is. Um, right. But but within that, I thought actually having an idea of what we were talking about today, but having those common threads is also important too. So. My season one was basically setting the scene, you know, it's about what what's important as a teacher. And, and we talked about um, with Kelly Long on, on, on her Inspiration for Teachers podcast. We talked about how technology was helping people as well. Um, I, I had we talked a little bit about gratitude um, and um, the um, growing with gratitude with um, Ash Manuel, who's who's an uh, Australian, who's who's got this great organization going like that. And, and just sort of the essence of, of what's important in life, what's important for students and what's important for teachers and how that's a great starting point for what were you going to do and then then in into season two um 
through my my work with NAEP, I've been invited um, with um, British Telecom over here and invited to some of their workshops about how technology was being used in in schools and, and how it was a driving force um, um, for the future. And so I thought, well, the computing and, and ed tech would be a perfect thing to be able to tie all that together. Hence, the I was able to talk to them about their barefoot project and uh, and all those things and the apps for good and 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 all those things that happened in in that particular season and. Um, and season three, which I'm just in the process of recording now, is is I th- I wanted to find out what what the children thought. Um, it, it takes everything right back to basics. It's that kind of as a, as as a child at school, what is it that you would create? How would your school day be? And and what would your school be? You know, would it be like a, a an open plan loft style idea where you can be working in one corner, you can be exercising in another, you can be playing table tennis, and you know, having that sort of real sense of an umbrella of education, but within that being able to do different things at different times with a certain amount of mentorship and guidance, obviously, from the teachers. But rather than just kind of, I'm telling you now, you need to sit and do maths for one hour and then the bell will go and then you'll do some English and then you'll do something else. Actually, just having a, a much more creative environment about it and um, and just and just seeing what, what the what the children thought or whether they, they like the idea that they have a small classroom and that's what they do or actually maybe they don't want to do as much exercise as we think they might want to do or, or that sort of thing. And um, and so the aim is, is, is I'm going to be interviewing some some adults but mostly um, the children as well and just seeing you know if you could create your school day what would it look like how much exercise would you do how much game playing would you do how much project-based stuff would you do how much traditional academic learning would you do and you know and what would your school environment look like and and I think from there I'm I'm thinking we'll probably get a a bit of a theme going across the world because I've got people from different countries involved in different backgrounds and just finding out what that actually is what what that looks like and whether there are these themes and actually whether the future's already out there if we just could find and listen to the people who are actually getting this education in in what it is that they want to actually learn in a way that they can do it because if they're inspired and want to go to school rather than just having to go to school then i think their experience will be very different I think that's excellent, just excellent to find out what the children think. What thoughts do you have for season four? Do you have any plans for that? Yeah, season season four um, almost takes me full circle, really. It's going to be all about music. Um, and part of the reason we sort of said about why Education on Fire became a reality, part of that was um, through my work with Rhythmically Speaking, um, a, a an organisation called um, MusicTeachers.co.uk over here that provides um, um, instrumental teachers um, for students, um, and also the Musicians Union were doing a project called The Art of Music, and they came and videoed some of our workshops, um, and they put them on their their YouTube channel. and And my particular, um, we broke the basically the, the samba workshops up into twelve different bite sized sessions. Um, but it was it was the it was the initial rhythm games that I was doing in these things, which all of a sudden the majority of these clips were getting sort of five or six thousand views. Mm-hmm. But these initial rhythm games, um, I think now they're over like something like two hundred and sixty thousand. Um, and I started getting some emails from people saying, "Well, that sounds great. You know, how can I do that in my school?" And so I started suggesting and offering advice on those things. And I thought, well, actually, I can. I can do this in music because it's something I've always done. It's something I understand. And, and 
and sort of going back to your idea about the idea of why it's themed my, the podcast is the fact that I thought there would be other people who would be in exactly the same boat but in something that I don't understand you know hence the reason that while well, the music season I'll be able to give lots of resources and interview lots of people who've got some great things to offer in the computing season I was able to offer lots of advice through the experts that I was interviewing in that particular scenario my aim is is that in the future when I do um, well-being and when I do sport um, and all of these different type of um, topics I'll be able to interview those people and they'll have those skills and they'll have those resources available to help teachers implement them in their schools so that that's kind of the idea of what how that all works so do you go out looking for people to interview or do they often find you it's often been a question of um, a little bit of an an inspired email or a conversation that's led to an introduction it's been fairly organic I have to say and the times when I've been inspired to to make um, to follow up on something I've seen maybe on social media or an organization that I've thought was a really interesting one when I've reached out to them they've been really thrilled to be involved so it's been it's been a real lesson in just following your heart really and following what you feel is right. right and I don't know why that is maybe it's because you know, this is an important path for me and, and it's just unfolding as it should. And, and that's a really, obviously, a really important way to live your life if you can be in that kind of flow. And, and the, the the more time I spend doing that, um, the more positivity I get back and certainly the more um, response I get from some really great people who are, are being incredibly supportive and, and making a real difference. Right, right. Well, you certainly are making a real difference. And, you know, just what you said about the lesson in following your heart, you really seem to have followed your heart as you've moved through your career from one thing to another. So as we kind of wrap up our interview, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share maybe about something that you're working on, something that's upcoming or or just final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, I think the one the one thing I had which I was never quite sure what it was about. I had this sense that I needed to do something which was big, you know, sort of global, you know, something which was going to make a real difference. But I also had a sense of it needing to be personal. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I found in podcasting is in that particular scenario, you get both, you know, I mean, education on fire is now listened to in 25 countries around the world. So, I mean, it really is truly global in terms of its reach all the way from the far East or um, all the way around Europe and, and, and in America um, and, and into some, some countries in Africa now, which is, is something which has started to be developed in, in, in the last few weeks, which I've noticed. So it's got far reaching, but it's also very personal as well. You know, it's personal it's you know, as we are now having a one to one conversation. You know, there'll be thousands of people listening to it, but this is a very personal conversation just between the two of us. And and it's the combination of both of those things. Um and and just going one step further with that, um, with the music season that's gonna be coming up, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use both of those things together. So while I'm going to be interviewing people and offering things that people can download, you know, around the world, sort of musical things which you can use in any environment to support music and being creative in your school, I'm also going to be doing it locally as well um, because we're trying to combine it with um, 
one of the schools that I, I teach the drums in locally, which is a secondary school, we're, we're trying to work on how the, trans, um, the transition between the primary school to the secondary school can be improved. And music's a really great one of that because you get to experience the same type of thing in both environments. So we're going to try and work on a way of getting some of the primary schools into the secondary school, getting the children mixed so that you've got the primary and secondary children working together, which is something that I've done already in a different school earlier this term. Um, and and then giving the staff some support and some resources to help them do that. But then everyone gets a real chance to to benefit. You know, each individual primary school gets more music and more support and more creative environment for their students to work in. And then the secondary school then takes these students when they arrive there at, at age 11, 12, um, and they're able then to progress. And the primary school can see the progression into the secondary school. The secondary school has already got an impact on the primary schools as well. And so it's a, it's a, it's a small project within a handful of schools where I'm living but actually the essence of it and how it can work will actually work anywhere around the world I think and so it's this interesting dichotomy between this sort of global far-reaching feel but a very personal um, feel at the same time and, and, and this is starting to be something I'm really interested in and, and seems to be really developing for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think it's really important to get the younger children and the older children together, working together, sharing ideas and thoughts and performances. And there's nothing like music to bring kids together. So I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. I know here in Canada, my son, he uh, does a lot in school with music. He plays the saxophone and the clarinet and he plays the drums as well. So they do things with the other schools in the community also. So yeah, for sure. I think that's really, really wonderful what you're doing so mark it's been great interviewing you today and learning more about what you do and and just keep up your great work with the podcast and and helping children in education and adults too thanks bruce and i I really appreciate your time and and, and your support and everything that that i've been doing and um and to everyone listening yes um for your for your well-being and your support and um check out uh, mindfulnessmode.com and and Bruce has got some fantastic podcasts there that'll help you in your in your day-to-day support that 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 you need within your school as well so uh, do go and check those out thank you so much Mark you have a great rest of your day thank you you too cheers Bruce yeah bye now thanks for listening to the education on fire podcast for more information of each episode and to get in touch go to educationonfire.com